You are listening to the QSR Web Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to today's podcast with me, your host, QSR Web and Pizza Marketplace editor, Shelly Whitehead. Happy to have you all in the virtual house today. And one of the reasons for that is that this is such a dynamic period for all restaurants as far as each brand's marketing and strategic efforts to recover in this pandemic era economy are concerned. Now, many of you have already changed your operating models to feature at least partial takeout and delivery service. In fact, you almost had to, to stay afloat this year. Now though, many of you are primed to go ahead and push past those initial immediate pandemic service changes and do something more, more long-term to really recover in full. And it's no doubt you've got a lot of questions. And that's a good thing today, since our guests are here to answer some of those issues related to the path forward, beginning with Perkins and Huddle House CMO, Allison Delaney. She's here to relay a restaurant marketer's story around how her brands pivoted, what they learned, and what her best advice from the past few months is for brands hoping to fuel growth the rest of this year. Also here today is Brian Giannone, Vice President of Client Development at Epsilon, the leader in outcome-based marketing across CRM, digital media, loyalty, and email programs. In his past seven plus years at Epsilon, Brian has helped restaurant brands create data-driven strategies to better connect with their guests. So let's get started right now. First, by citing a little data from the start of the pandemic. When Yelp reported a 160% increase in interest for grocery stores just between March 8th and March 18th, that was among a slew of other spikes in interest for produce and takeout over restaurant services. So since we know that cooking at home is a higher priority now and demand for dining out in any form is lower than before the pandemic, Allison, can you tell us how Perkins and Huddle House have reworked their marketing strategies to accommodate the new reality? You bet. And, and thanks for having me today. You know, we, we of course, pivoted to off-premise online ordering for pickup or delivery and curbside service as an option, it was our belief that people still didn't want to cook during this time. They were anxious and frazzled due to job insecurity, having to work from home, and you know, just all sorts of issues with having school-aged kids at home. And they were forced into cooking at home as a result of restaurants being closed. And it was also our belief that people still wanted the quality of food they traditionally got at full service restaurants, but were willing to accept less, in other words, QSR, uh, to stay safe. But if we could offer a seamless experience for guests to enjoy their favorite comfort foods, and comfort was a big, and still is, uh, a big desire at this time, and they could feel safe doing so, then we could salvage a, a huge portion of our business. So at both brands, pre-COVID, roughly 10% of our sales were already off-premise, but most of that was phoning for takeout or in-person ordering for takeout. 
we, we were not far down the path of online ordering and third-party delivery. And here's the interesting thing. What the pandemic showed us is that we could move very fast if we had to, even if the technology solutions weren't perfect. And we moved faster than we ever thought possible. We tripled our off-premise sales at both Huddle House and Perkins, and a significant portion of that was through online ordering and third-party delivery, even though we weren't even close to having that system-wide, and we still don't now, but we, we weren't even close to having that system-wide back then. And these initiatives allowed us to survive until dining rooms started reopening again. Um, and like, like many other chains, we immediately began selling groceries. And I kept a watch on all sorts of press releases and news announcements. And I really have to say that I think Huddle House was, was literally one of the first uh, to do this. We, we found in our Huddle House concept in particular that sales really took off because in this brand's more rural footprint, people literally couldn't find items in their local grocery store. So us offering groceries was seen as a huge service to the local community because they don't have as many retail choices in these smaller towns and cities. And our being able to offer these items, we were able to save folks a trip to a larger city and potential greater exposure to COVID during that time. Wow, that's um, that's really interesting. Brian, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it, you know from what Alan Allison said. I mean, we've seen a lot of the same, a lot of you know creativity and innovation that's been happening in the industry. And and one common response is that everyone has had to pivot in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the way that they've been able to do that has been unique. Um, you know, by by merchant, by brand, and you know from a marketing perspective, we've really seen you know, the gamut as we try to, or they try to communicate, you know, the messages to their guests, you know, some have paused marketing altogether to see how things would shake out over time. Others, as Allison mentioned, they tweaked their messaging to focus on delivery or new order channels that maybe didn't exist previously, uh, which has been really interesting and fun to partner with clients on and is try to, you know, how do we creatively get a new message out in the marketplace and, and who's the right person to, to talk to about those things. And, and others have really increased marketing efforts to focus on customer retention. Uh, we've, we've seen some partners that have had more traffic on their website or their app than they ever had before. And so how do we, how do we capture that and help you know, restaurant brands bring that guest to the restaurant or communicate with the restaurant in a way that uh, you know, gets them to engage? So it's been really, really interesting to see you know, what the industry's been, been able to accomplish over the last couple of months. So I now from Allison, from those initial strategy shifts, uh, how have these brands proceeded in an environment where many restaurants have opened and then had to close again? Allison, have your brands altered not just how they're communicating with customers now, but also what they're saying and the ways they're saying it? Yeah, I mean, sure. We've, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sure you know, the, the, the challenges so much for marketing per se, I think they're, you know, concept challenges or, you know, category challenges as, 
as many other people have said, I believe the world is changed for the foreseeable future and, you know, maybe forever. And even after a vaccine is found and distributed, now it'll take a long time for people to go back to their old daily lives and some never will. Some are, you know, some are scarred from losing family members and friends. Others must you know, deal with financial ruin. And this might indicate that that full-service dining will never return to their old levels. But I think on the other hand, um, you know, human beings are social creatures. You simply can't do everything virtual. People want to be with each other physically, and, you know, dining together is fundamental. Now, you, you can do that at home with your family anytime, but, you know, people want to see those outside their own households, and because people are even more frazzled and anxious. I don't, I don't think they really want to make cooking at home permanent. And I don't think eating fast food, even though there are many great offerings out there from a food quality standpoint, uh, I, don't, I don't think eating fast food is going to be, you know, acceptable to people in the, you know, in the long run. So, you know, I, I think there's an important place for full service dining and, you know, with many full service restaurants closing for good, you know, those are, survive will actually gain market share. That's interesting. And, you know, we, we've heard from a lot of clients about, you know, we talk about gaining market share in a unique way. And, you know, how do I, how do I do smarter conquesting or where do I lean in when we know marketing investors are not, you know, just they're growing, they're shrinking. And so it's how do we, you know, knowing that folks still want to you know, have that experience, it's, it is really thinking about not only what to say, but you know, how do I say it? What are the right channels to, to, to communicate those things so that, that people can still experience restaurants uh, you know, the way that they have, have previously? So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how I, I, we've had one partner that's, uh, I think the customer journey is permanently fragmented, right? And so you know, how, do you, how do you get past that and move forward and innovate you know, around the new customer? And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how you can use data and other technology platforms as they become available to do that. Okay, so now we know each restaurant brand responded a little differently to this year's extraordinary challenges with, for instance, many fast food chains staying open but shifting to drive-through only service. So uh, what marketing challenges did Perkins and Huddle House face that your QSR partners maybe didn't have to deal with? And what advice would you give leaders in other service categories about their path forward, Allison? Yeah, and, you know, so, I, you know, obviously the differences are that, you know, dining rooms, of course, had to close, and look, you know, our, our concepts, full-service concepts were built on a business model of dining, and so we've all pivoted, as they say, to, you know, an off-premise model, but that's not the, the core of, of what we do. So I, I think for our concept to work in this new world, and look, I, I think also early on, you know, the first couple of months, I think everyone, certainly, certainly we did at our company, we thought, you know, look, this is going to be over in a couple of months and everything's going to go back to normal. And now everybody realizes that it's not, you know, there will be some, you know, sense of normalcy, I think, as time goes on, but we don't really know what form, you know, that's going to, that's going to take. But obviously, you know, full service concepts are not quick service. We weren't built on the premise of, you know, drive-throughs or pickups. We were built on the premise of people socializing. And 
that's what full service is. It's it's seeing people face to face. It's sitting down with each other. It's being served by, you know, a um, you know a server um, or a bartender or something. So I think for our concept to work in this new world, we we have to do two things. We have to ensure the absolute highest standards and highest execution of those standards of cleanliness and sanitation for on-premise dining and make sure that we can communicate that to the guests in all of our guest-facing messaging for a long, long time to come. Uh, and second, I think we have to accept that we have to grow our off-premise business even though we don't have drive fees and even though that's not what we were built on. And that means evolving our food so that it travels well. It means implementing technology so that ordering payment pickup you know, is intuitive and easy, which is something you know, that the pizza people have been you know, doing well for 10 years and getting the message out to guests and potential guests that they can enjoy you know, the same quality food from our concept, our brand, you know, where, wherever they might be. So it's kind, it's kind of playing two ends against the middle we certainly can't abandon dine-in because that, that, that's where our concepts are. Um, and when you, have a, when you have a legacy concept, you know, you have, to, you, you have to accept the reality of your concept, the reality of your physical buildings, and be able to salvage and then build on that. At the same time, we also have to become more competitive in off-premise because Though off-premise might fall back a little bit, it's it's never going to go back to where it was before. And if we if we want to want to thrive, uh, well, survive and even thrive, then then we have to get better at at, at really playing you know both sides, both dining and off-premise. And I think from our from our point of view on the marketing side, you know, knowing that those challenges are new and some of them are. You know, haven't been explored to the degree that you would have maybe wanted to in the past, right? You know, as good is better than perfect. And, you know, the importance of flexibility, you know, being nimble, uh, iterating quickly in terms of how you communicate that message, you know, which is important. I think, you know, as marketing partners out there, this is something we've spent a lot of time focusing on is how do we make sure that we can provide an environment where if you do have to pivot or you do have to change, um, you know, how do we do that? And, you know, a lot of our clients have actually leaned into digital marketing a little more during this time frame, and not just because it's flexible, but because of the adaptability, uh, the message, people where they are, um, you know, knowing that you can personalize on the fly and change that messaging or update it. Uh, so it's been interesting to talk to partners that maybe hadn't leaned into certain marketing channels uh, previously, just like they hadn't invested in certain technology previously, are now kind of rethinking the way that they uh, communicate those things because I, I think it's extremely important to show the safety and the commitment, um, but also the new things that you're offering. Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen that too uh, as well in in one of our brands, Huddle House. Uh, we were mostly digital anyway, which which might seem counterintuitive to a lot of people because Huddle House is a rural brand and it's a um, it's a legacy brand with uh and, and people see customers at a huddle house kind of as a you know older and less able to uh or, or, or less willing to adopt um digital and you know that that's just a falsehood as people in your business know you know in, in rural america uh you know people might not have computers or the internet but they have their mobile phone that is their computer and so 
you know, a lot of times in, in rural America, they're even more willing to, I think, adopt some of this, or, or at, least as, at least as willing to, you know, ad adopt some of these new technologies uh, than, than, than people in even suburban areas. And so, you know, for Huddle House, we've been down the digital pathway for a long time. What we've really seen that's been different is, um, is on the Perkins brand. And this is a brand that also is a legacy brand, has an older clientele, um, but uh, they, Perkins has relied on TV advertising, and, um, and that's going to change a lot. And um, I mean, TV bought the traditional way and consumed the traditional way over um, you know, cable or satellite or something. Media consumption has changed dramatically over the past five months. And we don't know where it's all going you know, to shake out. But people that have, you know, cut off their cable and have cut off their stop, they're, they're never going to bring that back. And advertising companies are evaluating the fallout and will be for many months to come of the shift from cable and satellite to OTT and streaming. And it's imperative that companies quickly figure out what content their guests are consuming and where they are getting this content and uh, change, changing the media plans appropriately. Wow. Um, so, so there appears to be a massive shift and, and I guess this has been going on for a little while and how consumers actually consume information and, and entertainment. So, and you as marketers have to address that. <laughs> like yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the first conversations we had with our, with our agency at Perkins was, you know, look, you know, we went off the air for several months, you know, everybody did, you know, we're not, we, you know, dining rooms are closed, we're not bringing any money into the marketing fund from um, uh, marketing fund con contributions, so it allows you to kind of take a pause, and we talked very early on that when we come back, it, it is not going to be, you know, just pick up where we left off, because you know, I certainly had a sense that media habits were just going to change dramatically. And, you know, all of the, all the research that's coming out now shows that that in fact happened. And, um, and I'm not saying, you know, of course, that the traditional um, consumption of media is completely gone, but it really has changed. And so, you know, if, uh, I mean, and I'm, I'm sure advertising companies are looking at this, but I would just say if yours, is not they need to and you need to push them to do that because um you know it, it certainly turned out to be real in our case yeah i mean what we're hearing from industry partners is in in, in the sense that there's there is a ton of data out there and there's there's all this new data out there and kind of how do i make sense of it and it's about trying to use it to make more informed marketing decisions and we're hearing you know how do i how do I know more about my guest? You know, what, who's my best guest? Who am I, you know, where am I winning share? Where am I losing share? Do I need an offer? You know, what are these, how, are, how do I answer these, you know, these key marketing, uh, you know, questions? And some of the things that we're talking about is just not just using that data for learning, but then also pairing it with activation so that you're, you're, you're seeing all the things that you're learning and, and understanding in real time. And then does, does that actually bring somebody into the restaurant? Does it actually bring someone to order from an off-premise channel that maybe they never did before? And so I think, you know, as we, as we look forward, you know, better use of data, more use of the right data, uh, you know, and the right tactics, I think are going to be, um, you know, more prevalent as marketing decisions shift from maybe a, a, a TV channel to OTT or programmatic or something else. Uh, 
Yeah, well said. Um, you know, as marketers, that's a common problem that we all have is, you know, we just, we're just drowning in data and it's, it's being able to parcel out uh, the most important and relevant and what's going to help you the most from all the other stuff out there that's, you know, interesting, but, you know, not, not necessarily usable right now. Right. And that's a lot of our partners are in the way that they're evaluating that is they're asking for better measurements. And, you know, we can test a lot of things out there and, you know, we find that it's impactful, especially, you know, folks like you that are sitting in, you know, C-level meetings and board meetings trying to validate or, or ask for investment to try new things or invest in new ways is how do we defend, you know, these investments? Um, again, when you're moving from TV, which is tried and true, uh, the brand's been doing it for years to, you know, something more digital. That's, that, that's a new thing is, is how do I, how do I, how do I prove that this is actually something I should continue to do? To me, it's no different than, you know, how it, how it's always been. And I know that, um, you know, digital companies that specialize in digital advertising have, you know, a lot of issues with this. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're measuring store visit attribution and, um, you know, impressions and, you know, a whole sort of other, you know, metrics. But, you know, honestly, you know, why did, why did we 30 years ago, 40 years ago go on TV in the first place? Why do we do digital advertising? Because we think it's, because we think it's going to bring in customers. So, you know, we still measure, it doesn't matter whether it's TV advertising or print advertising or digital, we still measure it the same way, which is, um, which is pre-post, um, that of control, the restaurants that have the digital media versus the restaurants that don't have the digital media and then pre-post. And because, because, you know, you can, you can talk all you want about the specific um, media metrics and, you know, all sorts of things that we can do with geo-targeting and, and, and geo-tracking and attribution. But <laughs> if it really doesn't lift that group of stores, from a comp sales standpoint versus another group of stores that didn't have the benefit of um, that advertising, then, then what are we doing? I mean, in, in my mind, and when I'm talking to our board, I would be the first to say, well, it didn't work. And so I, you know, I can show you all these media metrics, but look, you know, if our comp sales didn't, didn't improve, then, you know, we need to understand why and move on. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think that, the, the, the more that you can evaluate those individual decisions in terms of, is this actually bringing more people to the restaurant if I didn't do it otherwise? And if you can answer those questions, I think that's, that's where most marketers want, want to be and how marketing should be evaluated. And so um, I think that's, you know, you're, we're, we're hearing more and more of that in the industry, especially, uh, like I said before, marketing investments are not infinite. And so the more that you can make sure that you're, you're using those investments for the, for, for the good, right, to drive more revenue, to drive more uh, into, the, into the restaurant, proving that out is extremely impactful. So let's take a, a little longer term view now, which I, I get a sense of restlessness um, just across the restaurant industry. Like, um, you know, we've been here where we've we've come up with the uh, methods to stay afloat, but we want to innovate again. When does that happen? And so, so what do you think about that, Allison? Yeah, you know, everybody's been talking about it. It's not a new idea, but I, I think we will have to evolve more quickly. I'm, I'm specifically talking about 
uh, full service restaurants, but I think, you know, we'll, 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 well, actually it doesn't have to be full service, certainly fast casual as well, but you know, we're going to have to evolve more quickly to ghost kitchens. And there's a couple of definitions people use. One is, you know, locating kitchen facilities in areas solely for the purpose of delivery, maybe for pickup, but certainly not dine in. This saves on labor. You don't have to, um, you, you know, you don't have to bear the responsibilities of keeping a dine-in public safe. Plus, it allows you to gain market share um, by going into an underserved area without you know, spending a lot on real estate. The second definition I hear a lot is launching virtual-only concepts. So, you know, no physical restaurants at all. Um, the brand lives online. Um, it's created for online. It's launched online. It's available for delivery and potentially even pick up, you know, from one of those ghost kitchens. I think for established full service chains, it was on the explore list prior to COVID, but now I think it has to be accelerated and added to the to do list. And second, I don't think we can forget the basics of our industry, which is delivering a differentiated food experience at a consistently high level of execution at a great value. These have always been the strategic pillars of all successful concepts. And though we may have paused our innovation against these pillars during this crisis, it's now time to move past, as you say, staying afloat towards strengthening those elements that brought us to the party in the first place. The ideas of, of, of kind of the new the new restaurant going forward, and as I mentioned before, you know the customer journey is 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 going to be is new, right? And it's going to be different. And and the and I I, I I like to use the word adaptability because we're not sure what the next month may may look like or the next few months. But I do know that restaurants are going to be there, and they're going to find ways to communicate to their customers and bring them in to enjoy the things that Allison you know just mentioned, whether it's in that physical location or whether it's you know, the food being brought, you know, brought to them and the experience being translated in another way. Um, you know, so I think innovation is going to be consistent and constant. Um, and I think it's exciting. Um, and, and, and the more that we can do to help bring customers into the restaurant from a marketing point of view to experience that, you know, that's where I think our job as partners can really, you know, come forward to say, here's, you know, and, and help the restaurant from all the investments that they're, you know, putting back in. Yeah, and Brian, I, 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 you know, I think you're absolutely right about the customer journey. You know, that's that's one of the things that's very fluid right now. And we, we might have, you know, we might have mapped the customer journey and backed it up with measurement techniques down to the nth degree. But I think we're all kind of re-examining that now and having to really do that all over again. You know, what percentage of your customers are entering the funnel, you know, from, from this channel and what are their needs and how has that changed and how have the different segments uh, changed in their, in their weighting across all of the groups of people that, that enter the funnel. And so it, it's, it's, it's certainly going to be interesting, um, but I think if, if we, you know, if we think that the customer journey is is going to snap back to being the same that we that we put all of this work into mapping before. You know, I I I I think we follow that path at our peril. Okay, now that um, I have a question for you, Allison, as part of the executive team at Perkins and Huddle House, 
How did you ensure alignment across the executive suite on the priorities you have and the marketing budget in the last few months and then going forward? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I, I think <laughs> I think if if you're if you're part of the executive leadership team that wasn't tightly aligned before, I I would before this hit, I would hate to uh, I, I would hate to have lived through what what you might have lived through the last you know five months or so. Um, we we were tightly aligned, and I think like any good crisis management process. You know, we started out every day from March, whatever it was, March 13th on um, with a team's meeting with all top executives of both brands. Um, COVID hit when we were only six months into our acquisition and, um, you know, really, really absorption of the Perkins brand. So we were dealing with that and then COVID hit. So we, we assigned roles um, in store safety, regulations and guidelines guest-facing messaging, assistance to the franchise base, cash flow management, you know, all the things that we had to do in this crisis, you know, we literally on day one when we could, actually, I think it was probably March 11th or 12th, you know, on day one when we could kind of see where things are going, you know, we literally all got in a room and just started mapping out everything that, you know, we knew we were going to have to face. And then we stayed in constant communication with each other you know, even though we were all, you know, very quickly after that time working remotely, except for our essential personnel who had to be on site. So, you know, eventually we gradually moved to every other day, then once a week. Um, we, we've always run our business utilizing the OKR system of objectives and key results. And we by no means tossed our uh, earlier defined OKRs. But we added a big one, and the big one was stabilizing the business. That was first and foremost. That was the priority. Um, we were all aligned and uh, aligned with that, and you know we just talked a lot. I mean, that was the purpose of you know having a you know starting the day with you know the morning meeting where we could all uh, you know run not not only run down things in our specific area, but so that the entire executive team could understand what was going on across the enterprise and be able to provide help and input, um, you know, to the, to the other executives and their, um, you know, their, their functional areas. Lastly today, and taking the larger restaurant marketplace into consideration, what marketing tactics have you found to be most successful for your brands over the past, you know, seven months or so? And how would you tell other restaurant CMOs to apply those learnings to their own brands yeah i think you know I, I think i would go back to you know digital of course i mean this just accelerated um you know needing to um you know needing to get into a more refined uh digital marketing plan for one of our brands we were we were already there for the you know the other brand and necessity just just caused it um, but digital, of course, is, uh, you know, attributable. It's uh, ultimately targetable because you can get so close around the restaurant. And one of the things that we've seen during the pandemic as well is not every, not every place, of course, recovers equally. So we really use a lot of our sales data to pinpoint, you know, exactly what we're going to tackle first and what we think we can 
actually affect. You know, we have a lot of locations that we know we just can't affect right now because they're in parts of the country that haven't opened up. They might be in tourist areas. And, you know, being able to use the, uh, in, you know, various digital, digital marketing um, strategies and tactics has allowed us to really have that pinpoint precision. And I think the other thing from a, you know, from a tactics standpoint that has been really successful is, you know, just changing our tonality. Um, people are, 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 are scarred, I think, as I've said before, and we have to present responsible but positive messages. It doesn't have to be sober. You know, humor is good at this point, but we have to make people feel safe again. We have to be genuine in our conversations, and we have to acknowledge what everyone is going through um, even while, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're trying to build the business, the business back. So, you know, being, being, um, being genuine, um, really taking a look at our media tactics from top to bottom of where we're going to channel that. And look, let's face it, you know, our, our marketing budgets um, were chopped by, you know, anywhere from a quarter to a third as we look forward for the next, you know, eight months or so. Um, just, you know, just protecting sales. Look, when you had virtually no sales for two months because you're a dining concept, you know, that's rough. You know, that puts quite a hole in, you know, quite a dent in your, you know, in your marketing budget. So, you know, we really had to really start all over again um, and really focus on those tactics that, you know, we can, we can target specific restaurants, we can target specific guest groups um, and, and use those messages with the right tonality. And one thing we haven't talked about too much in this phone, in this podcast that I think is going to really rear its head, you know, is the whole value thing. Um, it hasn't been, honestly, it hasn't been a big issue up to this point, um, as a lot of people have said, because of the stimulus um, and because of unemployment benefits. But, you know, as that begins to peter out, unless, you know, employment, you know, really picks up again, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of restaurants, individual restaurants that are going to be um, in bad shape just because their, their, their target group is just not going to be able to afford um, restaurants. And a lot of restaurants have been raising prices to deal with all of the extra sanitation and safety supplies, certainly all the extra packaging material because so much of the business has shifted to, um, you know, to off premise. So I would say, you know, kind of in summary that it's the, you know, from, from what's been successful, it's been the digital media tactics that we've been able to target. Um, and that includes not only digital advertising, but email and social media as well. It's been just the sheer fact that we've changed our, our con the content of our messaging, our tonality, what we say to people, and that um, we're getting even more value forward because we know the we know it's coming where people are going to have less less and less money in their pockets and um, and and we want to make sure that we still get a share of those visits. Brian, is there anything you can add to that? I don't know that I think that was very very well said and perfectly put. And I think you know the underlying you know thing is that even if you've thrown your marketing calendar, your marketing approach away, right? Because you've had to you know rethink everything. It's going to be okay in the sense that you can try new things. You're going to test new things. There might be new channels that you didn't know customers were interested in. And 
um, you know, understanding that tonality and the value, I think, is, is going to be extremely critical as we go forward. And it's going to change in ways that we can't predict. And, and that's something that we'll have to work together as partners on on how to take the right approach. And, you know, being flexible and nimble and adaptable, I think, are going to be critical for, you know, success as we go forward. Yeah. One, just one, one kind of parting thought uh, that, that, that you made me think of is one of the other things I said at the beginning of the podcast, but we really learned is that we can move a lot faster than we ever thought we could. And, um, and that's really shown us that when necessity calls for it, um, that we can, that we can really be lightning fast. And so I, I think one of the things that we probably will take a look at is our whole testing process because testing takes time. And I think now we'll look at all sorts of things and evaluate it more through the lens of risk and reward. So if something is very, very risky, then obviously we'll, um, and, and it could affect sales in a big way, then, you know, obviously we'll do our, we'll do our testing. But you know, we used to be just kind of in this testing mode of, you know, we test everything. And I'm not sure that's, that's needed anymore. When we kind of look at the, the risk and reward, if the risk isn't all that great and the reward has much more upside, then we want to get there sooner rather than later. And that's one thing that we would have never learned if it hadn't been for this crisis. You all are both getting the B are already are uh, pros at adaptability and flexibility. So you could, you could start your own boot camp. Allison Glenn Delaney is CMO at Perkins and Huddle House and Brian Giannone is the Vice President of Client Development at Epsilon. We appreciate you both being on the podcast today and wish you great success in the future as we wrap up this edition of the show. A big thanks to all our listeners and have a great day.